Well, welcome everyone. If you're joining us online, glad that you are here. Um, just worshiping with us. We're so excited about what God's going to do through us and to us today. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And if you can also kind of flip it over to um, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, that would be awesome. And I'm going to reload here. Matthew 7. Did I say that? All right, I understand, Jack. I don't, and I really don't blame you. So, online today, we have a lot of different people watching with us. Uh, I want to uh, just give a shout out to John and Gwen Carey. A week ago last Friday, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. So, John, Gwen, we love you guys. I met with them this week. Uh, they brought me some cake, which is nice. They had an anniversary and they brought me cake. Um, so, it was really great. It was, I enjoyed it this week. And uh, they were telling me and Kathy as we were praying with them, meeting with them, that uh, they went out and bought uh, anniversary cards. And this is how you know a couple has been together for 50 years. They bought the exact same anniversary card for each other. So that's when you know you've grown, grown together. John and Gwen helped found fullness. They've been a part of our lives for 30 years, my life. Um, I met them before we ever founded the church and was uh, with them. And so John and Gwen, we love you and can't wait to see you back in church as, as with many, many others. We're in a series called Fake News. Hey, Caroline, would you flip it back a slide? I got a little excited once I found it. Uh, we're in a series called Fake News. And the whole theme of this is that there are things that people either believe that the Bible says or act like the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't actually say those things. And then there are some things that the Bible does say, but kind of like the Princess Bride, I don't think that means what you think it means kind of thing. We have a different, hey, don't worry about the lights. In like two, three weeks, we have all new lighting going in. Hallelujah. Yeah, so in a couple of weeks, whenever it comes in, all of these things up here will be gone. The white cans up at the top will be gone. All replaced with new light. Aren't you excited that the light show will uh, soon cease here at Fullness in that sense? Where was I, Jack? You're still not listening, are you? <laughs> so I'm talking about fake news and what we believe the Bible says is true or we think. So today I want to talk about judging. What does the Bible say about judging? About 15 years ago, there was a TV show that came out, a ridiculous TV show called My Name is Earl. And uh, My Name is Earl was based on a, this guy named Earl Hickey who was a thief and a, he was a loser. And uh, his life radically changed when he won the lottery. Hallelujah. I don't know. It's like, anyway, he felt like he should go back and make up for all the wrongs he had done in his life. So he developed a list of things that he was going to go down on his list and make right where in his life he had totally failed. One of these was he had ruined Christmas every single year for his ex-wife and so he wanted to make it right. So he goes to his ex-wife's parents' house 
And at his ex-in-law's house, he finds that his in-laws, who he hasn't seen in a number of years because he's been in prison, um, but now he's out of, it's a totally ridiculous show. I don't recommend it, but just stay with me for a second. He goes to the show, he find, uh, goes to the house of his in-laws, ex-in-laws, and he finds that his mother-in-law is now in a wheelchair and undergoing dialysis. His father and ex-father-in-law runs a furniture business or something. Well, through a series of stupid events, he finds out that his mother-in-law is actually not in dialysis and doesn't need the wheelchair, that she's been taking the money and blowing it on gambling. So she goes to the casino all the time, and her response, now she's riding a bike, I know it's a stupid show, so, but her response has become a tagline in my home that my kids don't even understand, her line, which she says at least 10 times in this show, is don't you judge me, Earl Hickey. Over and over again, whenever he says, you're lying about being in a wheelchair, don't you judge me. Or when she goes to the casino and blows all their money, don't you judge me, Earl Hickey. Judgment is a strange word that we use. As a matter of fact, many people avoid the church because they have two criticisms of the church. It's hypocritical and it's judgmental. Hypocritical and judgmental. And you know what? They're absolutely right. We are hypocrites and we're judgmental. But you know what? So is everybody. It's not just me, it's not just you. Here's the issue. Do we drop all standards? in our lives and what the Bible says for fear of being judgmental? Do we go our own path? Do we let everybody do what everybody wants to do for fear of judgmental? Do we go through life saying, don't you judge me, Earl Hickey, with this attitude that any kind of judgment is bad? Now, here's what I want to say in this don't judge sermon this morning. And the words don't judge are the fake news. So what I want to say this morning is this. We have to be people who judge. You might say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say don't judge? Well, as a matter of fact, it says do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, Bart, how can you preach a sermon on don't judging when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says don't judge? I believe it's this, that the word judge is a very nuanced word. There's a spectrum of meanings in this word don't judge. So what Jesus is proclaiming right here when he says don't judge means don't proclaim some eternal judgment on someone. In other words, their salvation, whether going to heaven or hell, don't judge them in the sense of pronouncing final, complete judgment because you don't have that power. Only God does. Only God has the eternal judge has the power to proclaim whether someone is saved or not saved. And this is a particular kind of wisdom literature where Jesus is 
helping his followers try to come against the ideas of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, without going into too much, scribes and Pharisees, they, they had in their heart determined who God loved. They knew who God loved. And so they're going to help God by loving those that God loves, which is a very narrow group, and hating all of those God hates, at least in their minds. So they would pronounce judgment on things and people, and we're talking eternal judgment, and Jesus is saying to his, in the Sermon on the Mount's a new kingdom kind of mandate, don't judge in this way. Don't judge in the way of proclaiming e eternal life. But then, look what he does down in verse, um, the, the verses that follow, immediate verses that follow. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he says, don't judge. And then he says, you're trying to remove this little speck from your brother's eye when you have this plank hanging out your eye. You know, the problem is we all suffer in this eternal judging kind of aspect of plank eye. We've all got the disease of plank eye. We're all going around with planks hanging out our eyes because it's easier to see the faults in others than it is to see the faults in ourselves. And as a result, we judge the sin in others rather than asking God to cleanse us of the sin we have. Thank you to Gabriel for preaching last week. Uh, did a great job. Thank you for all the whole team who led. I was out of town. I was in North Carolina. I was there with my brother and a couple other pastors. And uh, I went out to dinner with my brother at this restaurant. And it was a really small place. And so he and I went on the patio. We ordered our food, went out on the patio to eat. And there were no tables except this table that said like eight people, a long, thin table, which I felt awkward sitting at, but I'm like, I got nowhere else to sit. But he and I didn't want to, we decided we'll, we'll take it. So we sit on one end. So I'm on the very, imagine the table's going this way. I'm on the end of the table. My brother sits here and we're eating our food and are you all having fun yet? <laughs> Who cares about your dinner? It's going to get there. So a couple comes, and she sits at this end. She says, they say to us, can we join you at the table? Because it was a big table about this long. He, she sits here. He sits there. So I look down, and the guy who's sitting on the table as I'm facing this way, on his arm, he has tatted crystal. I mean, it covered from like here to here, crystal. So I say to my brother, you think her name is Crystal? And so I'm whispering to him, do you think her name is Crystal? And so my brother, who's sitting here, he turns to look at the guy, his tattoo, right? So about the time my brother turns to look at him, the guy looks at my brother, who's staring at his tattoo. So now my brother has to say something. But at least he's smart enough to not say, hey, is she Crystal? Like I was mouthing off about. So my brother says, hey, where are you guys from? And the guy says, uh, originally we're from Fort Lauderdale. 
Now, for those of you who don't know, my brother is from Fort Lauderdale. That's where he lives in South Florida. And so they strike up a conversation about South Florida. This couple now lives there. We were in the mountains of North Carolina. And they now live there. And he's saying, you know, we had to get out of South Florida. It was just horrible down there. It was just so crowded and things had gone really terrible. And he was just bad mouth in South Florida. For those of you who live in South Florida, I have no, you know, I don't care one way or the other. I'm not judging Earl Hickey. But I... But this guy wanted to get out of South Florida. And then he starts talking about how he has a 17-year-old daughter who still lives in South Florida. And he really wants to get her out because she's mixing with the wrong people. She's doing wrong stuff. And he just wants to get her out. He's worried about her safety. Then comes the line that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. He says to us, you know, kids these days, they don't know how to do drugs like we did drugs. And my brother and I both were like, and then he goes on to talk about, you know, we knew, we knew the kind of drugs we were doing versus the kids these days who don't know what they're putting in their bodies kind of thing. And he went on a long time about this deal. And to me, it was the very definition of plank eye. Right? They don't know how to do drugs like we did drugs. And I didn't want to say, I never did drugs. You know, we're just, we, I just want to eat my burger and get out of here. We're like that, though. We're, we're you know, and, and, and we sitting here are thinking about this guy doing drugs. Well, what a dummy. He did it. But we got our own issues as we look on him. But for many of us, this is the way we live our lives. And, and Jesus is saying... Don't judge. Take the speck out of your own eye. Get the sin out of your own life before you start talking about the problems that others have. But at the same time, he's not saying don't lose all discernment. And this is where Christians, I think, fall in the ditch is we're so afraid to judge that we no longer proclaim the truth. In the very next verse, Jesus says this, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So think about this. He says, don't judge, but don't throw your pearls to dogs. Dogs? Pigs? Doesn't that sound like a judgment statement? Well, I got to determine who's a dog and who's a pig. How am I going to know? Is that a judgment thing or not? You see, you and I, we cannot live life without judging because every positive statement we make, when I declare Jesus is Lord, I am saying nothing else is Lord in my life. And that's a judgment statement. Whenever I say yes to something and I say no to something else, I'm making a judgment this is the direction, this is not the direction. Every time I vote, I'm voting for a candidate. I'm saying yes, no, yes, no. Every time I decide in my life, I want to live a life that pleases God, I'm saying yes to him and no to something else. That's a judgment statement. We as Christians can't live our lives without making judgments of some sort, discerning. And as a matter of fact, nobody can. Everybody lives their life in some sort of judging. And even those who say, I don't judge, you judge. You're like, I'm so confused. 
let me see if I can sort this out. On the spectrum of judging, we're saying no to proclaiming this person is going to heaven, this person is going to hell. As a matter of fact, the Bible's pretty clear. We're, we're not to sit in judgment over those outside of the body of Christ. But it does say that we are to be discerning and judging among ourselves, in our hearts, in our lives. Let me see if I can unravel some things that the Bible says that we're to be judging about. And I don't mean judgmental. Big difference between judgmental, that attitude, and discerning. So I'm using the word discerning from here on out, but I'm going to call it observations about judging. And so I want to list some things that the Bible says we should be discerning or judging. Right? You with me, So everybody? Were we together? So, and this is not a comprehensive list. This is just partial to say, yes, we're not to be judgmental, but yes, we are to be judging. We're to, dis- we're to be discerning in sharing the gospel. What did Jesus just say? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Somewhere in our hearts and minds, we've gotten this idea that as soon as we leave, we're to just be proclaiming the gospel everywhere. You know, wherever we go, doesn't matter if they want to hear it, doesn't matter if their heart is hard or soft or ready or not, we're just going. It's kind of like, ready or not, here I come. And Jesus is saying, when you share the gospel, you need to do it, I believe, led by the Spirit of God. Should I share with this person? How do I share with this person? How do I proclaim the gospel? Now, please, you still have to be proclaiming the gospel. At some point, no to proclaiming the gospel at every moment of your life is not the right answer. But neither is yes at every single moment of your life all the time. Jesus says, have discernment, have wisdom in where you proclaim the gospel. Because in some settings, it may do more harm than good. And you may say, well, I don't know. I think I should be proclaiming it all the time. Well, for instance, Jesus didn't proclaim the gospel before Herod. He was totally silent. Even before Pilate, he didn't go very far. But yet to a woman at a well in the middle of Samaria, who he couldn't have been farther from, who was asking theologically ridiculous questions, there he shares the gospel. How did Jesus know the difference? He knew the difference because he was led by the Spirit of God. Paul, if you'll look in Acts at different times, shares the gospel, doesn't share the gospel. Sometimes when questioned, he doesn't answer. Sometimes when he doesn't get questioned, he answers. There's a wisdom we need to know in when to share the gospel. I believe the the Great Commission, go and tell all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. The whole key to that is go, wait, receive. Right? If you think about it, he he says, you will receive power, then go. Without the power, the person of the Spirit, we don't have the discernment nor the power to share the gospel. You know, it's one thing, 
It's one thing if God gets someone saved. It's another thing if I get them saved. If I get them saved, convince them, it, it, there's, pro- there's going to be a problem. So I need to hear, and I'm pretty convincing, I think, in my words. I could argue someone in the kingdom. But as we're going to see in a moment, the fruit of that will not be really good. So I need discernment in sharing the gospel. I need discernment in receiving. I'm still in the Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew 7, Jack. I'm still there. Matthew 7. He says right after this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in chiefs. So look, I've got to judge the dogs and pigs. Who to share, who not to share. Now he's saying, watch out for false prophets. How am I going to know? I'm not to judge. You are to discern. Is this a true or false prophet? Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? We're getting some boundaries here on how to, how to make these judgment calls. Look at their fruit. Look at the fruit of this teaching. Look at the fruit of this teacher. What is their fruit? Goes on and says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You know, the judgment isn't just yours to make. Look at the fruit. In other words, well, you could say this. I may not be a judge, but I am a fruit inspector. Right? One of the things I'm going to see, I'm going to inspect the fruit. Before I receive from someone, I want to see. And many people, listen, people, listen to me, please. Everything on YouTube is not true. It's just not. Everything you want to download, just because someone puts reverend or doctor before their name doesn't mean they're a true prophet. How do we know? By their fruit. Well, how can I know someone's fruit if he's just on YouTube and all I've ever seen is him teaching on YouTube? I'd like to say maybe stay, stay in touch with someone so you can measure their fruit. You know, I see some of these prophetic guys. I'm, I'm not nailing all prophets. I love prophets. I love prophecy. But I see some guy in his car with his phone on talking to me and prophesying. I've never heard of this guy. I've never seen this guy. Should I be receiving from this guy? Now you're saying, well, in your heart, I, I can't judge. I can't see the fruit of this, what's taking place. So many times I simply choose not to. Because it's not healthy for me. It's not really going to benefit me any. You do what you need to do. But you might want to think about it. Likewise, look at the fruit. Be a fruit inspector. Be discerning in who you receive from. Bible also talks about not laying hands on too quickly. Not receiving the laying out of hands from... What if... You need to discern. Do I need to receive from this source or not? All right. Okay, here we go. Discernment in discipline. I'm skipping to Corinthians now. I've I've looked at Matthew. I want to skip over to 1 Corinthians um, 5 and 6 because in these two chapters, uh, Paul talks a lot about judging. Here's what, look at me just for a second. Here's what happens. Let me give you the setup. There is a guy in Corinth who's having sex with his mother-in-law. 
or his stepmother, thank you. That's not the right term, his stepmother. And the church is just like, you know, we're going to be very inclusive. We're going to just bring it, we're going to let everybody do what they want to do. We're not going to make any judgments. Don't judge me, Earl Hickey. We're not going to judge this guy. So we're just going to, we're going to let him in. And Paul says, listen, and the Corinthian society, by the way, was a very sexually permissive society. It's not like this was the Puritans he's writing to. You know, this is the Corinthians, and they're a whole different group. But he says, even among you guys, this is out of bounds. And he says to them, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. There's an aspect of this. Paul says, I've already judged the guy. Whoa, wait a minute. Didn't you say don't judge? Paul is saying, look in the body of Christ for the health of the body and the safety of this man's soul, you need to discipline. That's what you're called to do. It is it is, it's not just bad for the witness of the church. It's bad for this guy's eternal destination. In other words, Paul isn't saying, I'm pronouncing him going to heaven, hell rather than heaven. I'm saying, look, this guy is in danger. And we need to do something drastic to make sure this doesn't happen. And so I've already judged you can't go through life with a spirit of inclusivity that says we accept everyone regardless. The Bible does talk about a standard. And Paul is going to go on. Let's just move on. He said, if your brother, this is back to Jesus, sorry. I'm skipping back to Jesus. He says, if your brother sins against you, do what? Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two witnesses. Goes on and says, if he refuses to, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words... I don't want to get too bogged down here, but hang with me just one second. If your brother sins, well, how do we know if it's a sin or not? Who, who am I to judge? Doesn't sin sound like it's got a judgment on it? Well, I believe for us, we have God's standard, his word, which is very clear. And he says certain things are sins. If the brother sins, if a person sins, then we're to lovingly go and confront him about it, talk to him about it. If he refuses to listen, then we take two or three. Then if he refuses to listen to the two or three, take him to the church. It's, all of these steps are within the house of God. He's talking about a brother, not a person outside. He's talking about a person in the house of God who is sinning. He's not judging or speaking about sin outside, but rather in. And it's not a judgmental deal. It's a deal of health and help and life. For what purpose? Why do we go about this discipline process? 
to restore him, to restore her, to love them. Paul says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Again, I'm trying to not do 10 sermons in one. But in order to help someone and to restore them, we have to know what sin looks like. Where does sin come from? God's the one who says this is sin. Here's what the church has done way, way, way too often. Even the things God says are sin, rather than the purpose of restoration, we have had the purpose of annihilation. You know, we think, oh, the sin is, it's like cancer. We got to cut it out. No, no, no. This is, a, this is a brother or sister who needs healing and restoration and help. That's one problem. The second problem is we've made things sins that aren't sins. I mean, the Bible's full of things that are a sin, but we try to help God out and say, okay, there's sin to make sure I don't sin. I'm going to label things close to the sin, sin. And then I'm going to label the things that are close to the sins that are sin, sin. Are you hanging with me? In other words, we're way over here saying this is sin. When God says, this is the sin. Now, I, there's a lot of reasons to avoid sin. But that's not what these passages are talking about. But we need one another. And all of this is in the context of the house of God, right? This is all, all that Paul has said, Jesus has said, all of these passages are dealing with how do we help one another within the house of God. And we need each other. We can't live alone because all of us are, if we don't have someone to help us, we could be guilty of plank eye. We need somebody to help us see the plank hanging out of our eye. Hey, bro, you got a plank hanging out your eye. I saw this in the Babylon Bee. That's how we live life. I'm going to be, no one knows me like me. You know, besides, I'll just, I'll be accountable to myself. We need discernment and discipline. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, Paul goes on and says, in this same passage on discipline? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Church, it's not going to help us to just be casting aspersions to the wind outside, speaking judgment, because they don't, people don't know the Lord. They're not living on the same plane, the same standard. They, they've already made a judgment for themselves. I'm going to have the Lord of my life be money or resources or life or whatever. Or they just don't know the Lord Jesus, but they're living by a different standard. We can't place our standard on, on them. But we do need to live according to God's plan within the house of faith. When I was in high school, um, this is kind of a funny story, but it's got a purpose. I was with these guys in North Carolina last week. You're like, wait a minute, you just said high school. Just hang with me a second. Guys, last week, and they were asking, hey, when was the last time you and your brother got in a fight? And I said, at what level of fight are we talking? 
And they're like, you know, physical fight. Now, I never, I don't know even why they asked this question. You know, we're just sitting around a campfire. Hey, when did you and your brother get in a fight the last time? And I said, well, it was later in my life than I wish it had been. But the classic fight story between me and my brother was when I, we were both in high school. And I think, I know I've told this a hundred times at church, but uh, we, were, we were leading RAs. We were on different football teams. We were kind of doing a little athletic thing. And, you know, I was winning and he was losing as usual. And then, so he got really upset about it. He got really mad. And so he started getting physically rough with some of the little guys on my team. So I went after him and, um, did, and we, got in a, we got in a fight. The only one who got hit was a guy named Bobby Weeks, who stepped between us, our best friend. He stepped in, I clocked him, he went down. But my, really, me and my brother, we never got hit. Uh, we were more wrestling, but Bobby went down. So, um, and so this was at RAs, we're supposed to be the leaders, and some of those stinking GAs, they went in and told my mom. The GAs are the girls, you know. Um, they went in and told my parents, you know, and I, I, I was immediately uh, remorseful that I didn't hit my brother, but I hit Bobby. But I was remorseful about the whole thing. And so we go home that night, and my dad is so mad. He's the pastor of the church. And you can imagine, it's his sons getting in a fight at our age. And so he's so mad, but he's so mad he won't even do anything. He's like, I'm not even going to worry about discipline. I'll take care of it tomorrow. So we had to go to bed with that weighing on us. So the next day I come home from school and my dad says, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. We are, um, you're going to each read five books and write book reports on them. Hey, Rob, can you take care of this buzzing out of this guitar um, thing on my back right? It may be the monitor. Thanks. I'll be so distracted. I'm so ADD. I'll be like, squirrel? kind of thing um, the rest of the time. So my dad says, you're going to read five books and you're going to do a book report. Now, for me, this is golden because I actually read. And my brother, he, I don't even know if he could make a sentence um, together. Uh, so for me, it wasn't bad. And, but he did give us different levels of book. And so one of the books my dad gave me is to read was this book called The Key to Triumphant Living by a friend of mine named Jack Taylor. Now, I didn't know Jack. I didn't know who he was. Uh, actually, this book was influential, even when I read it the first time, but then later, later in life. When I was in seminary, Jack, same one who wrote this book, started a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was called Anchor Church, and that's where I met my wife, was at Anchor Church. If Jack hadn't started this church, I would have never met Kathy, probably. And I started going to church there, and they lost the worship leader. And Jack came to me, and he said, you're a music person, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm music. He goes, great, you're leading worship next week. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He said, yeah, the piano player, he, we had to let him go, and the worship leader, who was unbelievably talented. I mean, the guy was incredible. I had never played piano in public before, ever. I mean, I, you know, I had to pass a piano proficiency exam in music, but I didn't really play the piano. And Jack looked at me and he said, you can do it. Son, you can do it. And so next, I learned three songs to lead in worship the next week. Three. 
practiced the entire week these three songs. They're the only three songs I knew for that week. If he'd asked me any other song, we were dead in the water. And then he said, hey, great job. You're back up next week. I learned three more songs for the next week and for the next week and for the next week. And I used to kid with him. I said, Jack, you know, I used to have to read your books as punishment. <laughs> Jack went on to marry me and Kathy. He was part of the ceremony that um, for our wedding. Jack Taylor passed away this morning. But he was so influential in my life. He helped us start fullness. He helped us begin what this is. He was one of the guys who spoke into my life, spoke life into it. He didn't judge my lack of talent. He saw my potential and called it out in me. And part of discipline is not about retribution. Part of discipline is saying, if you'll hone in here, you'll be more there. And part of judging is saying, I see more in you than you see in you. I see life in you. I see who you can become. We need people like mentors like this to call out the life within us. You see, judgment isn't just about talking negative. It's about speaking life. But if you don't know where the boundaries are, how can you bring out life in people? We need discernment and discipline. We need discernment in disputes. You know, there are going to be times when we don't get along. Things are going to happen between us, and we need others to help us. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians says, If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? <laughs> Wait a minute. This is the statement. I laugh at this every time. He's talking about judging. Do you not know the saints will judge the world? Well, no, actually, I didn't know that. I'm not even sure what that looks like. But I'll be ready when God's ready for it, I guess. But he's saying, again, in life, there's more to you than appears. You have the ability to judge dispute. Don't go out to the world. They don't even have the same standard as you do. And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Well, I didn't know that either. There's another one I didn't know. Except for Paul hadn't said, how much more the things of this life? Listen, we're going to have disputes. We're going to have difficulties. Where do we go to, to, to see things mediated? Paul makes it pretty clear that we're to go to one another. That's, again, why we need the community of faith. Church is not an online experience. It is a, it is a community. It is a life together. And there will be a day when this life, thank you for those in the building and those who can't come for obvious reasons, there will be a day when you can return and we want to encourage you to. There are people watching us all over the world. I mean, real, literally, we have people, and I want to say, welcome, we're so glad you're here. But I can't be your pastor. Why? Because I'm not there. You can't call me when you're sick. If you're in a dispute with someone, you can't leverage this. Join us as much as you want, but get in a church home. 
Be a part of the community of faith somewhere. The sermon is views, that's a side point. So how are we going to go about this? How are we going to judge without being judgmental, right? Well, I think we got to walk in grace. The Bible is clear about this. Again, I said it, set this up this morning when I was praying with our team. He said, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Knock, seek, ask. Now you're like, how does this? Back, I'm back in Matthew seven, Jack. Just in case you wondered, um, the um, how, how do? What is this walk in grace? Because to walk in grace, to even knock, is an admission I don't have it. Right? I need the grace of God. I need the wisdom of God. I need the presence of God. To even ask and knock and seek is a confession that I don't have it all. I can't be my own accountability partner. I need Jesus in my life, and it's an act of grace when God says, I will answer you. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Ask God. We walk in grace. Here's the part of the problem with the church. We don't walk in too much grace. We walk in a lot of pride. You know, pride and judgmentalism, they seem to be, you know, they hold hands. They're never very far from each other. But grace and mercy, we hold those out to the world. We help each other. We also have to avoid, by the way, I believe, anger and arrogance. Kind of the same, same point. And finally, we must, we've got to be defined by humility and love, not judgmentalism and hypocrisy. God, God has blessed us with one another. We are a blessing to each other. And part of the blessing to being to each other is, on one hand, helping one another when sin enters our lives to see it and to confront it. Because sin never takes you down a path that is life-giving. Ultimately, it leads to death. So we need that, and at the same time, like Jack did for me, we need to call out life and future and destiny in one another to bless one another. I'm going to pray for us so that we, filled with the Spirit, will proclaim life to one another. And life includes making sure we avoid death, right? Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And I thank you for the life and joy and future that you have proclaimed for each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you for Fullness Christian Fellowship. I thank you for this place, this people, and the life that you've, you've blessed us with. Lord, may we help one another. May we not be judgmental, but may we be discerning. Lord, we acknowledge your presence in our lives. Lord, so we start this, we, 
We knock. We need your mercy. We need your wisdom. We need your purity. We need your holiness. We, we knock, asking, seeking. Thank you for your promise that we will find. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to transition to a time where we bring our offerings to the front, as, we, as we've been doing. Um, so just in a moment, you'll get to, you'll stand and worship. Uh, the team's going to lead us in worship again, and you'll bring your, your offerings, your prayer requests, your praise reports to the front. If you're new uh, 